opportunity. And as Karen said, my name is Sipokasi. And if you have been checking with us, you will know that we are doing a series on Abraham. And I'm just going to pray before I jump into it. So Father, King Jesus, we just honor your presence in this place. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. You are here. We acknowledge you and we honor your presence. Mm -hmm. And it's such a privilege to gather and just worship you and just look into your eyes. And even as you go into the world, thank you, Jesus, that I will speak everything that you have prepared for me to speak, everything that you want me to speak, and you speak through me. Thank you and we bless you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So yes, um, this morning I'm doing the book of Genesis chapter 16, verses um, 7 to 15. So they did chapters, um, verses 1 to 6, and we should have it there in a minute, but I'm going to read so long. Um, in verse 7 it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the, des in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to share. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with a child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against his. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave the name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the world was called Pelahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Beret. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So the background story, um, so there's Abraham and Sarai were struggling to have children, and God came and told them that they will have a son in their old age, and they seem to have struggled with this, um, with this reality that they can still have a son, because we see Sarai coming to Abraham and suggesting that Abraham sleeps with the maid servant Hagar and Abraham does exactly that and once she falls pregnant Hagar becomes mean to Sarai who is the mistress or the master and Sarai retaliates by um, mistreating um, the servant Hagar and then that's, that's when Hagar runs away and then the angel of the Lord finds Hagar near the well which is what we are doing today. So as I was reading this, and just to establish who is Hagar, so if you go back here in this book of Genesis, if you go back to chapter 12, there's a time when Abraham was, um, had gone to Egypt because there was a family in the land. And in that time, you know, like cut the long story short, they lied about who Sarai was and so on. But when he was sent out of Egypt, he was sent out with everything he had accumulated in that time, 
including the men servants as well as the maid servants. So Anatutin Hagar was one of those maid servants that Abraham, Abraham had taken out as he left Egypt. And take note of the fact that it's plural. She was not the only one. But she gets to be the one chosen by Sarai for this deal. And as a slave, she doesn't have much to say. And when she gets pregnant, she despises the mistress. And when Sarai retaliates, she, she flees from the bad treatment. And this is where God intervenes. And the angel of the Lord says to her, submit. Go back to your master and submit to your master's authority. So, one um, first thing that I would like us to learn from this, I don't, yeah, it's you all, you all have um, the, 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 the scripture there, I didn't put this on slide, but the first thing that I would like us to learn, you know, from this, from this text, from this passage of scripture, is that submit is being mentioned in scripture for the very first time. And the people who study theology, they talk about the law of the first mention, and the law of the first mention says, in order for us, you know, when we study scripture, in order for us to understand a word or a phrase in scripture, we need to go back to the passage where it was mentioned for the first time, and then we study that. And Peter seemed to have understood exactly that, because if you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 19, Peter says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. So if you have been reading that scripture, you know, where Peter is talking about submission, submitting to government, submitting to the authorities, and you never you know, really got exactly what, what, what was meant, then you go back to the book of Genesis and you read the story of Haggai, and it is beautifully illustrated. Amen. And here God is telling Haggai, if you ask yourself what, what kind of submission is this, here God is telling Haggai to humble herself. He's talking about humility. So when we say, you know, um, submit, we're not just saying that you need to just take on everything that comes on you. You just need to accept everything. We're talking honor, we're talking respect, and we're talking accountability. That is what the submission is speaking into. And, it, and you know, as it was mentioned then for the first time, that is why that moment was so significant. God had to, had to intervene then because it sets the standard today. You walk through that door, you know that you can't just do as you please. You have to submit to the protocol, you have to observe the protocol and submit to what the leaders in this place have put in place. Amen. Yes, sir. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Terry. <laughs> I've already honored him. <laughs> so, the angel of the Lord. I just want to speak into that you know, before we move on. So, angels are spirit beings. They are divine beings. They are usually on an assignment for God or on behalf of God. We need to give a message, as we've seen it several times in the Bible, like we actually hear about angels like throughout the Bible. 
even when Mary was about to, you know, conceive Jesus, you know, an angel came and gave the message. And we see Pepega as well. So they are usually on an assignment, giving a message, and you also get angels who are commissioned to a battle. And as I was reading, as I was just thinking about that, God led me to the scripture that's in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. That quickly, and then I'm just gonna, yeah. So then it says, Now then, Joshua was near Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemy? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for me, have for his servant? You know, yesterday I had such a moment at our school where I've been interceding and praying, you know, for, you know, for breakthrough in certain areas. And just in that time, you know, when we were worshiping and, you know, just praying for the school and just praying for myself, you know, I had this amazing encounter where I felt you know, I had encountered that angel, the commander of the army of the Lord. And a friend of mine sent me a message two weeks ago to say that I was woken up. Um, she lives in the northern suburbs. I haven't seen her in a long time. She said, I was, uh, woke, I was woken up at half past one in the morning and I saw you in a vision. I saw God giving you a new spear. And yesterday I had that moment just in the time when I was just praying and interceding and just, you know, pushing through for the things that I trust God for. And I felt, you know, that there was, you know, a, a, a supernatural being that just came in front of me and God led me to that scripture. And it was the commander of the army of, that, of the Lord. And in that moment, I felt God was wanting to I felt God was wanting me to release that over you because there are people who have been in the battle for a long time. And I just want to impact that over you right now. If you have been warfaring, you trusting God, you have been, you know, pushing through and you've been praying and you haven't seen, you know, your prayers being answered, you have been in such a warfare. I just want to impact over you that new spear for you to break through because the commander of the army of the Lord is in this place this morning. Hmm. Just open your hands if that's you. So Father, thank you that you are the one who fights for us. That we don't fight on our own, but we have the whole heavenly host fighting with us. And right now I just impact that new spear on every intercessor that is in this place, mm -hmm. on everyone who stands in the gap praying and interceding for the church, for the communities and for the city and for the, for the global church. Thank you, Father, that you hand them a new spear this morning in Jesus' name. And I felt also that this was the word, you know, I felt God, um, you know, speaking about this community specifically. And um, I know Jane is not here, she was just highlighted to me as, as God was speaking about this. 
And the father was saying that, like Joshua, you have carried the, the leaders of the church. And, you know, our father was saying, like Joshua, you have carried this church with all that you have and all that you are to, where, to be where it is today. You have interceded timelessly. And finally, you see the fruits of your prayers and intercession. Because like the, is, like the Israelites, you have crossed the Jordan River. God is saying, enjoy the fruits of this land, but this is not your promised land. Enjoy the fruits of this land, but this is not a promised land. In other words, do not get comfortable. Do not get comfortable because this is not a promised land. Enjoy the manna that is pouring in this land. Because now you have the Jericho walls to march around. And I thought God is saying, choose your army. Now is the time to choose your army. Because you have now the Jericho walls. The Israelites crossed the river Jordan and it was that yay. And that is why the commander of the army of the Lord has come. And the interesting thing is that he says, I am neither for you nor for the enemy, I'm for the Lord. Mm -hmm. So that speaks of righteousness, that speaks of purity, that speaks of holiness. That's the heavenly language, that's what the heavenly armies contain for. And um, Dave last week said something about how God was um, purifying the worship team. And that's the word for this community. That is the word for this community, the whole community actually, not just the worship team. Because if the commander of the heavenly armies is here and he says, I'm not for, I'm neither for you nor for the enemy, but I'm for God. That speaks purity and righteousness. And then carrying on back to Hagar. As I love this fire. Makes my life so organized. <laughs> so it says um, in verse 10, how greatly multiply your descendants, the angel of the Lord added. So they will be too numerous to count. And then I want us to jump to verse um, 13, where it says, She gave the name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Hagar, so I think by the time I finish here, if you didn't really like Hagar, by the time I finish here, you would have fallen in love with Hagar. Because I, that's what happened to me. Hagar was a God-fearing woman. She trusted God. She took God for his word. She held on the promise of God. Because, you know, even though his troubles were not over, she still had to go back to face, to face Sarai, but, you know, she believed. You know, she was still in the desert, you know, next to the spring. She still needed to go back and face the music. But you hear her praise and say, you are God who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. She was a God-fearing woman, a woman of God who trusted God. And in verse 11, now the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant, you are about to give birth to a son, you are to name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your prayers. 
You will be aware, don't be offered man, you will be hostile to everyone and everyone hostile to him. I'm reading from NIV, I hope that's NIV update. So the, the, the name Ishmael means God hears, God hears, or may God hear. And it says they, you are about to have a son and you are to name him Ishmael. So you name your son, may God hear, or God hears. For the, for the Lord has heard your, hope, your painful groans. He will be a wild donkey of a man. So when you read that, you might be thinking, whoo, that doesn't sound right, you know, a wild donkey <laughs> of a man. So now I want us to think about a donkey. A donkey is a domestic animal, a slave animal, actually, because it's always carrying heavy things and it's controlled by the master, you know, it has to, you know, go from point A to point B carrying all the things. But now, there is a donkey here that is called a wild donkey. So a wild animal, on the other hand, has a freedom to, you know, to roam freely. And we know wild animals that they are full of strength, they have freedom, and um, they are not part of the society standards. You know, they get to do what they want to do, and they are strong. They don't conform, you know, under, you know, the norms of the society. And here we see this donkey that is called a wild donkey. And um, that's how Jesus was, actually. Jesus was never, you know, he, he never come under, he never came under any, any things, you know, like the society standards. They would try and say all these things to him. He never changed himself. He walked in who he was. He never tried he never tried to let anyone tame him. And I thought that is, you know, wait, before we go there. And you know what happened, you know, during the time Jesus was here on earth, he eventually let them, you know, bind him, gave his freedom away, let them bind him and crucify him so that you and I can walk in freedom. So that you and I he actually handed that freedom over to us. You know, that is who we are called to be. You know, freedom is in God's heart. So when we speak about a, a wild donkey of a man, we speak about a supposedly domestic animal whose destiny has been rewritten. And it's the same, exactly the same thing with us because we were once slaves to sinners and Christ died for us. That's what the scripture says. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. How often do we always, you know, go back to what has, you know, has bound us? You have been set free, so you need to walk in freedom. But so many times, you know, you go back. So if God has set you free, then why are you not free? What are those things that you keep going back to? Why are you in bondage if God has set you free? It is God's passion, passion for us to walk in freedom. It is the Father's heart for us to walk in freedom. So we actually need to, need to think about those things that are binding us, those things that we need to go back to, that those things that we keep going back to and that are binding us. That is the question that we need to ask ourselves. A friend of mine always talks about, um, he's very passionate about revival. 
he says there are three levels of revival. The first level or the first phase is, you know, when you trust God to revive you, when you trust for your breakthrough and your freedom. And when you get that, now you need to move to the next phase where you walk, you exercise your freedom, you exercise your walk in your breakthrough, but you trust for the next person. So the next person is your church community, the next person is your city, the next person, you know, is your neighbor. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now that is the next level of revival. When you walk in revival, you don't take, you know, 100 steps back to, you know, to the dog vomit, basically. You go back and being bound again. And then, you know, which I think most of us are probably at that level, where you know you are now trusting for someone so either on the first level if you're still bound or on the second level where you are trusting god you know for the breakthrough of other people that's why we have the church community where we trust for each other's breakthrough and for god to do what he wants to do in our lives and then there is a third level that you know the church or we need to catch up to as the church on earth which is the bigger vision, you know, the bigger vision or the greater vision of God, you know, for the church and revival, that we are not just part of the small community or we are not part of a small thing. Now, there is a bigger revival that God speaks about, which includes those who have gone before us, a cloud of witnesses, the heavenly armies, you and I, your neighbor, my neighbor, the city, the communities, that is the eternal church that God has that God has in mind. So if you are going through, you know, if you are going around in circles, trusting for your break, breakthrough, and every time, you know, your world is here, your world is this small, at some point you need to break through there and catch up with the bigger vision of God. Amen. Amen. That is revival. And that is what God has in mind. We are part of a bigger plan. It's not just about, you know, eating you know from hand to mouth no there is something that is very bigger we gather here every saturday because every sunday because there is something very significant and big that we are part we are part of and it is not just for me to come here and be filled by the presence of god and feel good and go back home and go do everything that i did before that takes me back to bondage no, you have been set free. You need to walk in freedom so you can eventually catch up with what God has in mind, the vision that God has in mind, not just for this church, but for the city as well as the wider and the global church. Eventually, or probably even the, like the eternal church. So we need to walk in our freedom. We need to walk in freedom. We can't keep going back. We can't keep going back. Going back to Hagar. So there, there, there is an irony in this story of um, Sarai. Checking my time. The irony is that, you know, Sarai enslaved Hagar And eventually, okay, God made sure that the, the prophecy gets fulfilled because Hagar eventually gets chased out of the house of Abraham. So she has to leave because um, Ishmael was mean to Isaac. The child of the promise, you know, gets born and then Ishmael gets mean to him, becomes mean to him, and then they get kicked out and they eventually settle 
all on their own. So that is how they, you know, the whole nation of the Ishmaelites, you know, gets established. So here's what I'm getting at. So Sarai was mean to Hagar, and then they got chased out. And you know, Isaac was born, and then Isaac became a father to jo to, to Jacob. And Jacob became a father to the 12 tribes of Israel, and one of them was Joseph. Joseph, who gets sold by his own brothers to the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites take him where? To Egypt. Mm. And that's how the, 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 the Israelites became slaves to the Egyptians. So the reason why I'm sharing that this morning is that there is such a need a very big need for us as this generation to be very intentional and mindful of what we do, the seeds that we sow for the next generation. Because we see the three generations later, exactly what Sarai did to the, to the Egyptian is happening to her generation. So what seeds are we sowing towards this next generation? I'm going to share something that's very personal about me. In my family, my dad struggled with, um, with alcohol addiction. And, you know, there's a lot of people in my family, my sisters, you know, they drink, like they party and all that kind of stuff. But there is, you know, a curse of alcohol addiction. And, you know, for me, I, when God revealed that to me, I drew the line. I said, God, this has to end now. This curse has to end now. And I am willing to never touch a glass of wine from today onwards. Never touch a glass of alcohol from today onwards. Because I cannot let my children bear the same, you know, continue with the same, with the same curse. I cannot let this continue. From now here, it ends. It doesn't, it doesn't continue anymore. And that is the promise that I made to God that I will not let my generation, you know, continue under the curse of, you know, of, of addictions. Because it can be an alcohol addiction or just any addiction. An addiction is an addiction and it's from the pit of hell. So we need to take a stand and say that the next generation will not be continuing on the same on the same trend as all those generations have you know have been continuing. And another thing that was stirred in my heart is that if you look back, like we talk about the revival, that's you know that's that um, that happened during the time of Andy Murray, and you know that was such an amazing time. But what is normally not being said is the fact that, you know, the revival broke through the farmers and no one believed them. People thought they were drunk because in that time, people, the farmers were paid by the bottle of wine. So it was, it was hard for people to believe that these people are actually experiencing the presence of God. They are not drunk. So now, if I am going to be praying for my communities, and there is, you know, an alcohol abuse and a woman is getting beaten because a man is drunk, then I need to take a stand. I need to actually put an action towards my words that, Lord, let this stand. Now, let there be a reversal of that curse that was poured upon our communities by paying them, you know, 
with a bottle of wine so that they can always be drunk because that's exactly what happened. That is a curse that was poured upon the people. So if I'm not taking a stand and I'm not saying that, you know, God, this has to stop, who will? The next generation has got their own battles to fight. So I cannot afford to just live aimlessly, basically. We don't, as Christian, as the church, as the body of Christ, we don't walk, you know, we don't get to cruise aimlessly. <laughs> um, there's two responses to the abuse of alcohol. God calls some people to non-use. God calls other people to uh, correct use. So God is not saying thou shalt not touch alcohol. Obviously, in your relationship with God, He's made it clear to you that that's the fault. I certainly get a new understanding today listening to your story. Why? That's a strong argument for non-use of alcohol as a as a kingdom response. So thank you for sharing boldly from your story, but I just yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you, Terry. Now I was going to say, I have no problem whatsoever with alcohol. I buy my friends wine, a bottle of wine. <laughs> no, I've got, you know, I've got Sally and Flynn there.
and see for myself, we were like, oh yeah, revival, let's go, let's do this. And then we, we started the school, and then a very sobering moment in my prayer time, where God, you know, God says, look at your people. Look at your people. And I saw a picture of Kailicha as, you know, as like my hand is like this. So it was Kailicha, but it had all these strings and they were, you know, they were tied up. You know, like, you know, there is a controlling thing on like right at the top. And it was like, it's, it's captured. That's the picture that I had. Like if you see an island, you know, it's saying like it's a piece of something. So I saw Kailicha like that. And I started weeping. I don't know why I was crying, but that teacher didn't have a good feeling in me. Because, you know, like it looked like, you know, the, the community of Kailicha is captured. And I started praying, you know, to God, God, what is happening? You know, help your people. And then last year, we had, you know, when we had our graduation, as I was preparing as the dean of the school, I had this and that and that to do. And Sipo says to me, um, I feel like there is a word that um, Sally needs to bring, you know, at the graduation. I'm like, oh well, I'm just gonna tell her. I'm like, message her, Sally, you know, we feel God there's a word that you need to bring at the graduation. He's like, oh really? Okay, I'll pray and see what that is. And we come to the graduation and worshiping is a nice celebration. And then a friend of mine comes and she's like, yo, I feel this, you know, I just get this number 40. You know, in a graduation there are. You know, there are guests, so, you know, if you're going to speak a prophetic word, can it be a bit clear so that, you know, even the guests can understand? So she comes, the most bizarre moment, but the most powerful moment. She's like, I just get this 40, this number 40, and, you know, I just want us to, I don't know what it means, but I feel like we can just grab it and we can just get in whatever it is, and everyone is opening their hands, you know, we take it, we are part of it, we say yes, Lord, to the 40, we don't know what the 40 is. <laughs> and then after that, you know, a time now for the word, the, the prophetic word that we, you know, we asked Sally to bring, and she's like, yo, yeah. and she messaged me the day before to say that I do have the word. And then she comes and she said, you know, when I was praying into this word, God said to me, Kaya has been, it was established in 1985, so it has, the community has existed for 37 years. And I feel God is saying that the next three years are going to be intense because God is bringing down the strongholds. So that 40 is the, is the, because we know 40 as, you know, the 40 years of trials and tribulation, as we see right through the Bible. You know, Jesus, 40 days, was tested in, in, you know, in the desert. So the next three years, this is what's going to happen because God is bringing down the strongholds and everything. And in that moment, as I'm listening, and she's like, you know, they, what is happening in Kailicha, or what has happened all these 37 years, it has been the wilderness season because of what the colonial system had imposed on the people or on the community of God. So those strongholds that are so, and those streams, and everything that is chaotic that has been taking place in Kailicha, the root of it is the colonialism or the colonial systems that have been, have been imposed on the people 37 years ago. And up to this day, we are working to bring down those strongholds, but at least now our eyes are open. We know what is happening. And God stands for the oppressed. God is standing for the people of Kaisha. God is standing for our communities. 
Peter was here, Zipi Portal was here, and then one of the one of the amazing things that stood out, you know, that you know, I heard a lot of things that he was saying, but when he said, you know, that scripture that says, "Remember the poor, remember the poor." So for me, that sounds like something or something that has been cast out, and then you bring it back to be a member. And that is what God is asking the Church of God in Cape Town to do. You remember the communities. And he said, those are our brothers and sisters. In the culture of revival, we do not see the people from a worldly point of view. You know, these, the leaders in this church, you know, are praying for revival and revival is happening. But one of the things that we can do as we partner with the revival is that we do not see the thing, we do not see things from a worldly point of view. We remember the people. We don't cast them out and say the poor. Because I know you can say that some, some someone can say that, oh well, that's what the Bible says, that's what Jesus said, remember the poor. But we can look at the context in which that was said. I just want to provoke and just challenge us today that, you know, those are our brothers and sisters. Therefore, if we're trusting, if we are trusting for unity and the division walls to fall in the city of Cape Town, then maybe we should stop declaring poverty over people because the power of life and death is in the town. So when you say be poor, you are declaring poverty over and over again over the people. That is exactly what we do. We remember the people. Those are our brothers and sisters. We don't call them. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Mm. Yeah. There is a reversal of the curse that is happening in Cape Town. We know a lot of things that have happened are things, you know, that were done by those who had gone before us. But God is reversing things, you know, things, you know, these things are falling. So could we partner with what God is saying? Could we become part of it? Can we just not isolate ourselves and say, well, I'm not part of that, those people, that people. My heart has broken for so many years over the, the divided church in Cape Town. We speak about, you know, the communities that are divided, but the church cannot be like that. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We cannot see the things, you know, of God as the world sees them. Yeah. We cannot see, we cannot distance them from us and say, oh, well, you know, those people. No, they are part of us. Yeah. And here in Africa, if you are here in Africa, you need to stop living in the limbo, living your, your life looking over the fences of other countries. You need to be here. There is a purpose and a reason why you are here. You are here for the purpose, so you need to be here. And if we think or if we trust God for a big move or revival in Cape Town or in Africa, He's not going to do it without the people of Kailisha. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's not going to do it without the people of Nanga, man and death. He's not going to do it. Mm. I was listening to this song, the testimony of Corey Asbury, the writer of the song, Reckless Love. Mm. He says the revelation that he got when he wrote that song was Luke chapter 15, where he talks about the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find, to find the one. And he says, you know, there is a greater rejoice in heaven when one sinner repents than the 99 righteous people who don't. So now, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was always with the sinners, he was always with the broken, he was always with all these people. Now, I sometimes sit in, in, my, in my small tiny flat in a nice community called Ranabosh with a nice beautiful view of the, like, of the mountain. And I would think sometimes, wow, Jesus, you know, if you would walk into my city, into my Cape Town city, you know, walk like a picture this Jesus walking through the, the N1, you know, or the N2 coming into Cape Town. Where would we find them? Would he come and dine with me in my truth lounge with all my beautiful candles and nice smell and all those things and I pour him a glass of wine? Or would I find him in 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 in, in Kailicha, in that shack that is dripping with water, comforting his people? Yeah. That is what we need to think of. Just as I end, we'll probably go into a time of worship, but just as we go into worship, I just want us to go into that space, you know, where we saw in our hearts, be it freedom, whatever you feel that, as I was speaking, you feel scared up to. Now is the time for you to respond just between you and God as we worship. You know, you don't, you don't just do worship for them. You know, if you need to go, you go, you know, tell them what you But let's just respond to, you know, whatever we feel God has highlighted as, as I was speaking. So, Father, we just, Lord, I just ask that you glorify your name in our lives. Glorify your name, your name in the lives that we live. Help us live the lives that bring glory to you. Thank you, Father, that you are the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one. Mm, yes, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the identity and the calling that you have for this community. Mm, thank you, Lord. But it's not just about us. It's not just about this place. Yes, it is about us and you, but there is a bigger plan. There is a much bigger plan that we are part of. Thank you, Father, for what mm. you are going to do in this next leg of us being in this new space. Thank you, Father, that you are calling us to be a people who walk in purity, who walk in freedom. Come, Lord Jesus, and just pour out yeah. 
Thank you, Jesus. 